Good morning, everybody. This is the part where I try and get you away from coffee and all the people you're talking to, and you all ignore me for a little while. Is that fair? <laughs> it's true. They're all ignoring me. <laughs> Ryan's looking at me like, oh, yeah, they're not paying attention. Ah, it's nice to be with people again, though, isn't it? It's been too long since we've been stuck at home and not connecting. Uh, I have this uh, yearly ritual that I'd like to share with you. Every year, I get in my truck, and I drive down to 16th Ave, where my doctor is. Dr. Fong, she's this little Asian lady, talks super fast. I love her. She makes a joke about anything, and there's some weird stuff that goes on in a doctor's office, and she can find a joke in it. And I say, Dr. Fong, Vincent, I'm feeling tired. And she says, Vince, you're old. Thanks, lady. <laughs> I could have diagnosed that. And then she goes and, you know, she takes out the blood form and she starts like... But I realized this year as I did it, I, I realized something strange was happening inside of me. That word tired is an interesting word, isn't it? Because it could have meant, oh, Dr. Fong, I had a bad sleep last night and I'm tired, but if I have a good sleep, everything will be fine again. But that's not what I'm feeling. Could be, I'm tired because I had a heavy workout this morning and I just need some food and again, a night's sleep and I'll be fine. But again, that's not the tired I'm feeling. I'm feeling that tired like there's a weight. You know the tired before you go on holidays where you're busy and life seems heavy and there's no freedom? You know the tired I'm talking about, don't you? I feel like a lot of us right now are feeling that kind of tiredness. Life is busy. It's stressful. The things in our lives that recharge us. Do you remember when food used to taste really good and it wasn't just the thing you wolfed down because you needed to eat something? Do you remember waking up in the morning feeling rested, not your alarm turns off and you're kind of like, oh gosh, okay, I better get up. I got to go to work today. Or you go to the gym because you can't wait to work out instead of going, well, it's Thursday. I guess I got to go lift weights. What's the weight in your life these days? Is Dr. Fong's advice good ones? Well, Vince, you're just getting old. That's the problem. Or is there something else at play? I'm starting to think that there's something else at play. In fact, I'm starting to think that our spiritual ancestors have been watching this part of our lives for thousands of years. And they've been sharing the answers that they came with in stories, but I wonder if we've missed them. Let me take a step back. You guys all know I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. Did you guys know that there is three creation narratives in the Bible? Everyone, does everyone know that? It's a gold star for you. Anyone else get a gold star? Three, not two, three. The first one starts with in the beginning, which is Hebrew word barashit, which is, we translate that into the word Genesis. In the beginning. I call this a creation myth, not because I want to belittle the story, but because I want you to think about it not in terms of science, 
But in terms of spirituality, in terms of psychology, in the beginning, the creative spirit was flying over the water. It's interesting. It's not the absence of matter. The story starts, there's water. Now, water is a metaphor for chaos. Sometimes they use the word water monster. Does anyone feel like they're floating over chaos these days? You know, managing schedules and energy and work and you name it. The creative spirit is flying over the water, over chaos, and the creative spirit says, I would like to create order in the chaos. And so the first creative story says, there is a separation between light and dark. Before it was all mixed together. I kind of figure it's like, you know, strobing, like at a, a disco show, right? You know, flashing lights everywhere. It's kind of like that. No, no, it was separated. There's a time for light and there's a time for darkness. And we got the first rhythm. It's a day. And a day is the core of much of our lives, right? It's we sleep and we get up based on the day cycle. That rhythm. I brush my teeth on that rhythm. I go to work on that rhythm. I eat on that rhythm. We walk our dogs on that rhythm. It's a 24-hour rhythm that just keeps happening over again. And you can ignore the 24-hour rhythm. You can. You can try and stay up longer. How well does that work? You know, by 36 hours or 48, boom. And your body forces itself back on that rhythm. We have a rhythm built into us called a circadian rhythm. It's kind of close to a 24-hour period. It's actually a hair longer. That's why you need to see sunlight in the morning to reset your circadian rhythm to the day. Otherwise, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night. Do you know that there's parts of our bodies are the hormone cortisol that is kind of partly stress-related, but it's, it does a whole bunch of other really good things? It has a daily cycle. It raises in the morning, and it goes down at night. If you're a testosterone-based being, most men are, your hormones start off when you wake up in the morning, your testosterone will be high. And you'll feel like, okay, I got energy, let's go do something. By the end of the day, you know that feeling of like, you just want to sit in front of the couch and watch TV for the last hour of the day? That's because your testosterone has dropped. Your energy cycle is tied to a day. The first rhythm. The myth goes on. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. On day seven, the crater rests. What do we have? The second rhythm. Most of us start our day, you know, we work a chunk of the day and then we have a weekend. There's this cycle, this seven-day cycle we go through. My phlebotomist, speaking of Jeff's um, blood story, my phlebotomist, the lady who sticks the, the needle in your arm, she and 20 of her family members had supper together every Saturday night and they've had it for years. All 20 of them get together and make a meal together every week. We all have weekly schedules. If you're follically challenged, chances are you shave your head on a weekly schedule. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> One of the things we learn, the seven-day cycle is actually made up. Most of the early... The, the cultures around the biblical time, they used a seven-day calendar. 
They actually got it from this idea of they could see certain planets. This is going to be tricky for me. Does anyone know the order of the planets? Um, can you yell it out to me? Mercury, Mars, Saturn, five. Perfect. <laughs> Who is smarter than a grade fiver? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Five planets plus the sun and the moon. And they named, if you look at the names of the days of the week, they're tied to the celestial bodies. One of the early stories, it's earlier than the creation myths. It's also a flood narrative that has a lot of similarities to the Noah flood narrative. It's called the Gilgamesh epic. They actually use seven days as timing markers. Every seven days, we're going to check to see if the flood's gone down. Everything's flooded. We'll see if there's land every seven days. Those Romans, part of the Jesus era, they went to eight days. Who knows why? But in 300, when Constantine, the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity, we probably, do you guys all know about Constantine the emperor? He's probably one of the most influential figures in Christian history, including Jesus. He's why we have Christianity today, most likely. He's why the church exists the way it does, most likely. He is the basis of the Vatican City. He said, oh, no, 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 no more eight-day week. That's garbage. Seven days. Because on the seventh day, God rested. We have a rhythm in life of a day that our circadian rhythm is almost synchronized to. And then we have this synthetic week. But doesn't it make, you know, you're doing your, for those of you who don't work shift work, by the way, for those of you who work shift work, I'm sorry. Especially you healthcare people, you guys mess up the day rhythm and you pay for it with shorter lives and more sickness. If you don't dance to this rhythm, there are consequences to it. So for all you healthcare people and all you people who help us by being on shift work, thank you. But you pay with your lives. We have a rhythm in our life that's tied into us. We have a rhythm that we've made up. And the reason I tell you the creation story is not because I want to tell you about an creation event. Remember, we've been doing this whole psychological hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is a fancy word to say the questions we ask of the text. So instead of asking questions about the creator, I'm asking questions, is this creation story teaching us something about us? Something about who we are as human beings? And this has helped me solve my problem that I keep going back to my doctor with by saying, doctor, but I'm tired. Anyone know the movie Footloose? This might be dating myself. Give me some love. Have you know Footloose? This is the part where you all expect me to do the Kevin Bacon dance, right? Can you turn it on the music for me? No, just kidding. <laughs> I could do that, guys. You know the one who does this? I got that one dialed in. <laughs> Thank you. Gold star for you. If you remember the movie, the movie is this character, Ren, comes from the big city. He's cool, Kevin Bacon, whatever. And he loves to dance. Everything in his life is dance. When he's stressed, he dances. You guys remember the scene where he goes to the warehouse and he dances his pain? I was also going to do that scene for you, but I felt I'd let that one go. 
And he falls in love with the preacher's daughter, and she's a dancer too. But for some reason, this is a no-dance town. They've outlawed dancing. So Ren does the only thing he can do. He goes to city council to challenge this injustice. Like of all the injustices in the world, this is the injustice he wants to choose. For our conversation, he does something really interesting. He takes a quote from the Bible. Don't put it up just yet, Catrice. I'll give you a shout. It's from a book called Ecclesiastes. The genre is called wisdom literature. It's a book that talks not about the divine, the transcendent, none of that. It does a little bit, but for the most part, it's talking about humanity. Who are we? What's a good way to live? And Ren puts on his little tie. Remember how skinny his little tie was? Puts on his little tie, opens up the Bible. Throw it up for me, Catrice, and reads this. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry, a time to dance. And if you can all read the last line with me. A time to grieve and a time to dance. Beautiful. Okay. Let me give you some Bible geekery before we go any further. See how the second line is always indented? That means it's a doublet. It means the first line and the second line are the same. They're just rephrasing the first line. But in the doublets, we see this idea of there's a time for everything under the season. There's a time to do one thing and a time to do something else. It's this idea of a rhythm. There's time to grieve and a time to dance. I remember when my mom died. Actually, I remember when my mom got cancer. I got the call. My dad says, hey, can you talk? I'm like, no, I'm in the middle of something. Can it wait? No, it can't. Your mom's got cancer. You know that pit you feel? And it stayed there for four and a half years as we watched her die. And when she died, I thought, ah, oh, Maybe now it's over, but no, it starts the whole thing going. I don't even know. But I remember some point at the funeral, we were all together as a family. And we were la- or we, we started to tell stories about mom. And we told this story about how she would, she'd make this sound. I, Yoo-hoo! Where does, <laughs> she would yell it like we'd be a mile away and she'd go on the deck and yell yoo-hoo at us. We'd all be like, and come running home for supper. And you could feel it. All of a sudden, we kind of be like, <laughs> pretty soon the whole family is howling. The time to grieve, the time to laugh. It's talking about a rhythm, a way of moving through life. We don't get stuck in one. If you go to your doctor and you say, doctor, I'm sad, your doctor will usually ask you this. Has anyone you love died? Yes, my mom just died. Okay, great. Sadness is what you should feel. If you go to your doctor and say, doctor, I'm sad, and she says, have you had anything happen? Yes, 20 years ago my mom died, and I'm still feeling sad. She'll go, hmm. 
the rhythm of life isn't working for you right now. Can you throw up the next quote for me, Catrice? This thing goes on. A time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to love and a time to hate. The Bible, the wisdom literature says, there's a time for all of this. Even hate. When that person cuts you off on the road, a time to hate. Y'all do it. Y'all know it. You could just make me the bad guy. I'd be like, oh, Vincent. The problem is not the emotion. The problem is getting stuck. Losing the rhythm. Day, night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then back to the beginning again. The rhythm of life. I wonder if the creation narrative, in part, is trying to say there's a rhythm to life. And you're going to have dark times, you're going to have good times, you're going to have scary times, you're going to have happy times, you're going to have all these different times, but it's a rhythm. I, I work a lot in this, it's, they use this metaphor called energetics. It's, it, it says emotions are kind of like energy in your body, and when they get stuck, it's a problem. And some of us will have emotions that are stuck there, that have been there since we were like four. Actually, there's some that have been there since before we had words. And people keep thinking the problem is the emotion, but I, I wonder if what the text is saying, no, 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 the problem's not the emotion. The problem is it's not moving to the rhythm. I had this coach for a while. I was into triathlons. It was actually, I, I got divorced. I had a lot of feelings and I had a lot of time all of a sudden. And so I started training because I always wanted to do an, ultra, or an Ironman. And so I hired a coach because I knew nothing. I didn't hardly know how to swim. And I remember he taught me something. He had this runner that he was working with and he taught it to me this way. He said, I have this runner. He's a jackrabbit. Jackrabbit in runner's language means somebody who runs every day of the week. He has run every day of every week and every month and every year for years. He's not taken one day off. Now, the prophetic side of me is thinking, I know what you all are thinking. That's the problem. Only crazy people do that. The problem for him, though, was his race times were starting to fall off, getting worse and worse and worse. The guy's running every freaking day of the week. I'm guessing he goes to Dr. Fong and says, Doctor, <laughs> and she says, You're old. And he goes, Yeah, screw you, lady. My coach says, Vince, there's something you have to understand. To fix this person's race times, we had to change how they think about running. The formal term is period, periodization. The term we're using today is rhythm. He said, you need to start taking days off. You run for two, you take a day off. You run hard, you run long, you take a day off. And you repeat. Rhythm. And then there's a larger rhythm. Can you throw up the picture of the, the bar graph? This is actually my training schedule for before I did, uh, I think this was the death race, looking at my wife. I don't know. Do you remember my training schedule? 
I'm not sure why I looked at her story, babe. Can you see, like, it goes two weeks up, and then there's kind of a lesser week. It goes two weeks up, lesser week. Three weeks, lesser week. Four, less. And you start to see this pattern. He says, when you train in this way, you push really hard, and then you give your body a chance to recover. You work five days, and then you hit the weekend. You do a chunk of something, and then you take a break. It's the rhythm. You push, and then you slow down. You push, and you slow down. The rhythm of life. We see it in creation narratives. We see it in our lives. We see it in training. So let me ask you, how good are you at the rhythms of your life? This is the part where I go, oh, crap. I'm actually, <laughs> I was going to say, can you throw out the first one? Let's look at some rhythms. Day of the rhythm, sleep awake. I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this one. Last night I stayed up till midnight. My wife went to bed early. Today I'm a little tired. So clearly, not good at that one. Sleep, sunrise, sunset, meals, walking the dog, connecting with kids and partner, testosterone. What other daily rituals do you have? Just yell them out. Reading. What was the other one? What was that? Nice. What else do you guys have for daily rhythms? Exercise. Exercise. I have a cup of tea every morning. It's part of my daily rhythm. Meditation. Meditation. Nice. How good are you at the daily rhythms of life? Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> What about the next one? Weekly rhythms. Sabbath, weekends, training rhythms, recreation rhythms. The Jewish tradition has this thing called a Seder meal. Every Friday you get together with your family and you eat together and you remember your spiritual tradition, your spiritual stories. What's our weekly rhythms like? I've told you guys this before. You know that Sabbath one? Formally, in some traditions, it's saying you can't work on Sunday. I don't see it that way. I see it as a ritual of rest once a week. Guess how good at that I am? The number of times my wife has said something to me and I'm about to snap back because I'm just in a pissy mood. And I take a minute and I go, what's my Sabbath rhythm been like? I look back at my schedule and it's like, Oh yeah, a month and a half ago I did it. We have this way of looking at our spirituality. Can you throw up the diagram for me, Catrice? It says there's an I and there's a they in your life. If you have neglect on either of them, you can't create we. The sense of being together. And often the sense of transcendence, the divine, the more than, comes through this sense of we. And so we lose track of all of it. My absence of Sabbath isn't making some supernatural being angry at me. It's making me not be able to create we with my wife. And then I can't find the divine all of a sudden because I'm going, we're not good because I'm not good because I didn't take care of myself. You don't need to put up your hand, but chances are you know what I'm talking about here. We can also break down these rhythms into this model. Just leave it here for me. What's the rhythms of life that rebuild and recharge yourself? 
Do you know them? Are you doing them? I got exercise down. I got eating down. Sleep, I'll give it about a 50. Sabbath, negative 12. How you doing? What's one thing, one rhythm you could put in your life that would rebuild I? What if we go to they? Uh, I like Krista. Krista's running the stream. So everyone who can see this, me, who's not here, you can thank Krista. <laughs> she calls her mom every day. There's a they component to that, right? Reaching out, observing, seeing the people around you. Oftentimes, you need to do a bunch of eye work to actually get out from underneath your own crap so you can actually see the people around you. Oh, they're having a bad day. Oh, they're getting a little snippy. Oh, I can do something about that. What's your rhythms of reaching out to the people around you? Do you have them? My dad, after my mom passed away, got remarried. I have a stepmom. She has a date with all eight of her grandchildren every week. That's a rhythm of they, isn't it? What's your they rhythms? Not the thing you did that one time, once. No, the thing you do every time. Consistently. So that we can create a sense of we. We only exist when I and they are both healthy and come together in balance. Someone told me one time, we were talking about we, they're like, yeah, we is just they, right? Because they've suppressed themselves for so long that they couldn't even see themselves in we. But what are your re-rituals? Me and my wife have date nights every Friday night. Sometimes they're awesome. Sometimes they're just, we walked down, had supper on Friday, walked back together, watched TV together. What's your we rituals? What's your rhythms? How are you doing on them? The beauty of this model says we exists in the physical realm. So if you're like, hey, look, Clausen, spirituality, not my thing. Don't care about it. Not into it. Great. Stay at we. But we've all had moments where we've been with someone else or had something happen that felt like more a conversation, a something, a feeling of not aloneness. And we move into the sense of transcendence, the spiritual realm. Some of us have a supernatural being that we conceive of. Great. What's your rhythms of connecting with the transcendent? I used to run the Douglas Fir Trail. Remember, I had to run a lot. Douglas Fir Trail is beautiful. I ran it every week for about a year and a half. I was pretty familiar with the Douglas Fir Trail. One day, for a date night, me and my wife walked on the Douglas Fir Trail, the one I'd run every week for a year and a half. We walked in about 100 feet, and she's like, look at that tree. And I'm like, what tree? That one right there. And I look over, I'm like, holy crap, that thing is beautiful. I had never seen that tree. 
what is the transcendent we rhythms of your life? Do you know them? Do you need to get outside? Do you need to be with someone? Do you need to have some time in prayer or quietness? Do you need to read something? Do you need to be someplace? As we look at our lives, if the creation narrative, the way I'm looking at it, says we have rhythms in a life. And when we follow these rhythms, something beautiful happens. If we look at this wisdom literature that says there's a time for everything, but the problem is when you've lost the rhythm and you get stuck, where are we today? Where's your personal rhythms? Your they rhythms, your we rhythms, your transcendent rhythms. Sometimes I hate preaching these messages because I'm really not talking to you so much as I'm talking to myself going, Clausen, you literally know better than this. But I'll say it in a larger framework so that I don't feel so embarrassed. How are we all doing? What rhythm in life do you need to bring back in? Do you need to honor? Do you need to create room for? With the awareness that yes, it's good for us, but it goes all the way up that chain. F up the bottom part, good luck on getting the top part. So as we finish off today, I want you to just sit for a minute and think about a rhythm in your life that you need to bring back or start fresh. It can be at any level. I, they, we, transcendent, whatever. If you're brave, after the service, tell somebody the rhythm you want to start. Let them hold you accountable. I think there's something beautiful when we engage our lives through these rhythms. I think there's something recharging. I think there's something connecting. I think there's something transcendent in this for each and every one of us. Take a second. Just sit with whatever rhythm is coming to your mind. I want to invite you to one last rhythm. There's yearly rhythms. Every year we have a thing called Easter. At Friend Church, we don't tend to do Easter theologically, meaning what does Easter say about God or our conceptions of God? We do Easter psychologically. We take a Sunday every year and we say, what if we could let go of our baggage? What if we could let go of the stories we tell ourselves that don't work anymore? This is part of the Jewish tradition. It's the part of the tradition that Easter was built upon before it kind of got really theological. We want to invite you to come and do this ritual every year and say, hey, yeah, I screwed up this year. I made mistakes. I let people down. And I'm going to let that go and start my year fresh. I don't know why we need to do it in a ritual. 
other than we seem to need these rhythms. So I want to invite you back to a yearly rhythm, an invitation to freedom. That is Easter. We'll come in, we'll do it together. You're going to write down the stuff you need to let go and we're going to light it on fire. It's always fun when you get to light things on fire, right? (laughs) You get to watch the crap from your life burn and go, okay, I'm done. That part's gone. We get to start fresh. In the Christian tradition, they use this word amen to say, hell yeah. So let me just say, amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week at Easter for freedom. Take care.